right, well, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Um, how many are cheering on the Patriots to win their fifth Super Bowl today? Okay. How many of you are cheering on anybody who will play the Patriots or the Falcons today? Okay. And then how many of you couldn't care less? You're just waiting for baseball season to start. Okay, me too, me too. Well, in two weeks, we are hosting Fight Night here at The Crossing. Now, this is not a UFC event. This is a one-night conference for couples of all ages, all stages of life, married, dating, all kinds of couples. Les and Leslie Parrott are going to be here. They are best-selling authors. They are relationship experts and some of the most sought-after speakers in the nation. It's amazing that we were able to get them here for this conference. And they're going to be talking about turning conflict into deeper intimacy in your relationship. And it's going to be a lot of fun. They are fun speakers, but they have some practical steps in doing this. And guys, let me just say this to you. This will be one of the cheapest dates that you have and a great investment into your relationship. So that's February 17th um, on Friday night here at The Crossing. You can pick up tickets or find out more information at the next step table out in the lobby. Well, a while back, I was speaking at another church. And after the service, there was this young couple who came up, and they introduced themselves to me. They had just started coming to church, and they told me their story. The guy, this young man, had had a drug addiction for years. He'd had multiple DUIs. He had spent time in prison. They had a brand-new baby. He said that he was celebrating six months of being drug-free, had this brand-new baby. And he said, when we had this baby, I just knew if I didn't change my life, I was not going to be around to help raise this baby. And I asked him, I said, have you two surrendered your life to Christ and been baptized? And he said no. And then he leaned in to share a secret with me. I couldn't imagine what secret he was going to share after everything he had told me. But he leaned in. He says, I've not been baptized yet because I have doubts about God. I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding I've never met anybody who's had doubts before. I don't even know what to say to you. I, I didn't say that to him. But maybe some of you have that same confession that you have doubts about God. As a pastor, there are certain questions that I get asked all the time. You know, I get asked, you know, we see you on Sunday. What do you do all week long? Well, I just pray all week long. Monday through Saturday, just praying all day long for you. When people find out that I'm a pastor in Vegas and they're not from Vegas, they'll say, what's it like being a pastor in Vegas? I say, well, it's not that much different, but at our church, we have tithe machines out in the lobby. <laughs> I don't get a paycheck here. The elders just give me a roll of quarters, wish me luck. <laughs> we have showgirls who announce the hymn numbers, and Wayne Newton's one of our elders. But other than that, it's about the same. But one of the questions I always get asked is people go, do you ever have doubts? And I found that people want me to answer in one of two ways. There's one group of people who want me to say, no, I never have doubts. Because they just figure that I know something that they don't know. And all of us piggyback our faith on someone else from time to time, and that's okay. But there's another group of people who want me to say, yes, I have doubts because they have doubts, and they want to make sure that there's nothing wrong with them. See, here's where a lot of you are. A lot of you thought that when you became a Christian, all your doubts would be gone, and your doubts did not go away. And so you wonder, 
Is everything okay with your faith? Well, today's message is for anyone who has ever had doubts. And here's what I found. For the most part, when you're not sure about God, it's usually not an intellectual thing. I'm not saying that you don't have those moments. Maybe when you went to college, there was a science teacher who gave you all the reasons why you shouldn't believe in God or shouldn't believe in creation. And and I know that that happens. But what I found is that when we're unsure about God, it's usually a circumstantial thing. That there are certain circumstances in your life that just don't make sense. Something happens that rocks your world and it rocks your faith. Well, today, we're going to talk about that. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Mark chapter 6. We're in this series as we're going through the gospel of Mark. But we're also going to look at this section of scripture in Luke chapter 7. This story is also in Luke chapter 7 as well. And as we're walking through the life of Jesus, here's our big idea of this series. Is that the closer that you get to Jesus, the more your life will change. We just believe that the closer you get to Jesus, the more you will become like Jesus. And Mark has a very specific agenda in writing his gospel. His agenda is to establish the identity of Jesus. And so what we've seen him do over these past few weeks as we've been walking through the gospel of Mark is he's established Jesus' authority to forgive sins, his authority over religion, his authority over nature, his authority over demons, disease, and death. And today we're going to look at someone who is starting to doubt the identity of Jesus, and this is a big-time character in the Bible. I mean, this is, this is a really big figure in the Bible who's beginning to doubt Jesus. Well, to help you understand this, let me give you a little bit of background about what's going on. I talked at Christmas time about King Herod. Herod the Great was the king of Israel when Jesus was born. And he's the one who tried to have Jesus killed. And in the process of trying to kill Jesus, he killed all of the baby boys two years old and under in Bethlehem. Well, he was so paranoid that someone would take over his throne that he murdered two of his wives, three of his sons, and his mother-in-law. Now, some of you have thought about killing your mother-in-law, but he actually did it. He actually did it. Well, he was so evil that when he was close to death... He had his soldiers round up the most elite citizens of Israel, and he took them to the city of Jericho, and he held them there, and he gave these orders. Then on the day that he died, that they were to execute all of these elite citizens so that there would be weeping and mourning on the day that he died. Well, when he finally died, they released all of these citizens, all of these prisoners, and there was a party in the street. But before Herod died, He had a bunch of sons. And so let me just tell you about three of his sons that will help bring this story to light for you. Herod Aristobulus was the son of Herod's favorite wife. Now, this is the wife that he had killed, and this is the son that was born to this wife, Herod Aristobulus. Herod Antipas became king over Galilee. And this is the region where Jesus lived. So he is, he's king over Galilee, this region of Israel. And then there's another son by the name of Herod Philip. And he didn't become king, but he was a powerful man in the region. Now, Herod Aristobulus had a daughter by the name of Herodias. Now, she is going to be a key figure in our story today. And Philip married Herodias. 
So he married his niece. You're seeing that correctly. Well, one day, Herod Antipas visited his brother, Herod Philip, and he fell in love with his brother's wife, who happened to be his niece as well. And so Herod finally convinced her to leave her husband, Philip, and to marry him. And you thought your family was dysfunctional. (laughs) I mean, this is like a Jerry Springer episode gone wild right here. Well, John the Baptist started to preach against Herodias, and so she convinced Herod to have John the Baptist arrested and thrown thrown into prison. And at the beginning of this section, there's all of these views about who Jesus is, because Mark is establishing the identity of Jesus, and one of the things that people said about Jesus is they said, well, he is John the Baptist resurrected, because John the Baptist has been beheaded. And they're saying, Jesus must just be John the Baptist. He has the spirit of John the Baptist, and Mark wants us to see that Jesus is not John the Baptist, that Jesus is the Son of God. So we're going to pick up the story here in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. It says, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Well, apparently, whenever King Herod Antipas would get bored, he would have John brought up from prison for entertainment. And he would have John preach to him to entertain him. Now, here's the situation. John the Baptist is in prison. And John has a group of disciples, his own disciples, who visit him regularly. Maybe they brought him food, took care of his needs. And they're beginning to tell him about Jesus, what Jesus is doing. They're telling him that Jesus is teaching, the miracles that he's doing, the people that he's healing. And John is beginning to have second thoughts about Jesus. And I want to pick up the story in Luke chapter 7. Because he shares something that Mark leaves out, but it is so helpful for us whenever we wrestle with doubts. And in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18, it says, John's disciples told him all of these things. Now, all of these things, these are the miracles that Jesus performed. Now, John is actually cousins with Jesus. And you'll remember, Mark opens up his gospel with John the Baptist. Mark opens up the gospel with John the Baptist, who's pointing the way to Jesus, saying, Jesus is the one who is to come. John the Baptist is the guy who is preaching out in the desert. He's baptizing people, but he has one message, that you need to change the way that you've been living because God is sending the Messiah. Calling two of them, calling two of John's disciples, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Well, I think John's disciples had to be thinking, what? You want us to ask him this? You're the one who's been telling all the people that Jesus is the one who is to come. Why would you want us to ask him this? But at this point, John has been in prison for about 10 months, and he's starting to have doubts. Is Jesus really the Messiah, or have I wasted my life? He knows that he's probably going to die, and he's having second thoughts at this point. Isn't it interesting that when our circumstances change, and they can change 
for the good or for the bad. That when our circumstances change, it impacts our confidence in God. See, it can be for the good. That you get a new job. That you get married. That you pray and you're finally able to have a baby. That you see God work through this. He's with you through this difficult time and it strengthens your faith. But it's the opposite as well. That when something happens that's not so good. That it's been a long time since you've had enough money to to pay your bills. Or you're in the midst of a painful divorce. That things aren't going well with your son or your daughter. Your circumstances are difficult and your faith is impacted. And let me just push on you here for just a minute. Because I think that there is something that is self-centered in us about losing our faith when our circumstances go bad. Because when a tragedy strikes, when there is terrorist attacks... Or when there's a tornado that that strikes a city and people lose their homes and lose their lives, we pray for those people. We give money to those people. But it doesn't shatter our faith in God. It doesn't affect us. See, when you go through a hard time, I pray. When I go through a hard time, I doubt. And when I am having doubts, I want God to either change the circumstance or to explain what he's doing. See, when I'm going through doubts, I want God just to change what's going on in my life or just explain to me. Just tell me everything's going to be okay, that this is part of your plan. We're going on in verse 20. It says, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else. And Jesus doesn't say, of course I'm the one. Tell him I'm the one. And he doesn't say, tell John we're getting him out of prison tonight. I'm going to bring the rock and the sons of thunder and we're breaking him out tonight. Tell him to be ready. And he doesn't even say, tell John that there's a reason why he's arrested. And it's part of God's big plan. Jesus doesn't even answer their question. Verse 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He says, you go back and tell John what you have seen and what you've heard. You tell John what you see God doing, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor, that Jesus doesn't even answer their question. He says, you just tell him what you see and what you hear. Then in verse 23, he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This word stumble could also be translated take offense. This is actually where we get our word scandal from, from this word right here. That Jesus can be offensive. That Jesus can be scandalous. Because he might allow circumstances in your life that you do not like. And not intervene when you think that he should. And Jesus says, tell John, blessed is anyone who does not stumble away from me because of something that you thought that I should 
have done. Mark starts his gospel in in Mark chapter 1 with John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. And now John needs to be reassured because of what he's going through. Verse 28, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, now that would be everyone, Among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus says, out of everybody who has been born, there is nobody who is greater than John, and he's struggling with God, and his circumstances do not change. See, I think this is good news for us. See, I think this is so helpful for you and for me. Because here's John. He's the greatest man who has ever walked the face of the earth according to Jesus, besides Jesus himself. And he had doubts. John is this great man, and and God did not change his circumstances. So what do we do with our doubts? What do we do with them? See, I think if we were to ask Jesus the same thing, I think Jesus would give us the same advice. It's just this right here, is that you look back and you look beyond. You look back and you look beyond. I want you to say this out loud with me. Let's say this together. You look back and you look beyond. Let's say this again. You look back and you look beyond. You look back at God's faithfulness. You look back at what you've seen and what you've heard. You look back at what God has brought you through, how he has saved you, how he has answered prayers. You look back at the last time that you were in a financial crisis, that you were in a difficult season of your marriage, that you had a health issue, that you prayed for God to send somebody into your life, and God came through at just the right time. I talk to people all the time who are going through difficult circumstances. Every Sunday, when I'm in the lobby, I talk to people who are going through things in their life that are just so difficult and so hard. And I'll talk to other people who say, Shane, I'm going through something that I've always wanted to talk to you, but the lines are always too long. I've never been able to talk to you before. And if that's ever been you, let me tell you what I tell people who are going through difficult circumstances. That every time I talk to somebody, one of the things that I say is I want you to look for God's hand working in your life. That when you're in the middle of these difficult circumstances, I want you to look for God's hand working in your life. Because we tend to miss his hand. We tend to miss God working if we're not looking for it. But God's working. And you look for how he's working in your life in this moment. And then the second thing is you need to write it down. You need to write it down because we tend to forget how God has come through. We tend to forget what God has brought us through. I don't journal all the time, but I've made it a habit for me just to write down in my journal the things that God is teaching me, how God is working in my life. That I I make it a habit to write down those things that I'm worried about. I write down the stuff that I'm consumed with. I'll write down my prayers. God, why haven't you? Why don't you? I'll write down a verse that I've read in the Bible. It was like, that verse was just for me today. And I'll write that down. And the reason that I do that 
is because when I look back on my journal, I look back and I look back at the past couple weeks and months and years, I see God's hand working in my life. I see prayers that he's answered. I see the way that God has provided for me when I didn't know how I was going to make ends meet. I've seen how he showed up in a dark time, and my faith gets bigger. You look back at God's faithfulness, and then you look beyond your current circumstances. You look back at God's faithfulness, and you look beyond your current circumstances. See, all of us have these prison cell experiences. When you're trying to find God in your circumstances, that you have to look outside of those prison walls. My dad used to say, this too will pass. He didn't say it to minimize what I was going through. What he was saying is, Shane, you're not going to always be in these circumstances. You think that this is the way your life is going to be for the rest of your life. But this is going to pass. God is going to get you through this. That you look beyond your current circumstances. See, this is why serving is so important. Here's my goal, is that everybody in this room that you would find a place to serve, that you would find a place to use your talents and your gifts to serve other people because this is when God begins to do something in you. There is something powerful about getting on your knees and telling a child about Jesus, telling a child about how God works in your life. There's something powerful about helping a, a homeless family get back on their feet and you've had a part of it and God is using you. It helps you to see God at work outside of your present circumstances. So I think one of the best things that you can do this year is to get out of the country and see what God is doing around the world. Last week, as we launched our mission trips for 2017, we had a couple hundred people show up and said, we think we're ready to go out of the country. I would love for every one of you to get out of the country, to see how God is working around the world. To see how God is meeting needs and how he's using us to do that. When I was a student ministry pastor, I would try to take my students out of the country every year because I just knew if I could get them out of the country, if they could begin to work with people who are in poverty, it changes your mindset. Begin to work with people who are suffering and then we can help in that suffering. It changes everything. Our student ministry still gets our kids out of the country every year for that very reason. That it changes you. That it changes your whole mindset. You look back at God's faithfulness and you look beyond your present circumstances. Well, do you know how the story with John the Baptist ends? It does not end well, but it's helpful for us. It's helpful for us. We're going to pick this story back up in Mark chapter 6. It says, finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. So this is the who's who have all come in for this huge banquet. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. My guess is this was not a ballet that she did. So it's probably some kind of different dance right here. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And Herod is in such a frenzy. He says, whatever you want, ask up to half the kingdom. She says, hold that thought for just a minute. She went outside and said to her mother, what should I ask for? 
the head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried in to the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was troubled because he knew it wasn't the right thing. But because of his oath and because of all of these dinner guests, all of these who, who, who's who have come from all over Galilee, and because of his pride, he gave the order and John was beheaded. And it had nothing to do with how God felt about him. And God didn't change the circumstances. Your circumstances do not reflect how God feels about you. Proof of how God feels about you happened on the cross. It doesn't matter what's going on at home or work or school or with your money. The proof of how God feels about you, it's at the cross. So the question for all of us is not if we're going to doubt because we're going to doubt. The question for us is what are we going to do with our doubt? You begin to look around. Where is God working? What is he doing? You look back at answered prayers. You look back at how God intervened. You look back at God's faithfulness. And you look beyond your present circumstances. And you will find your faith. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See, he doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. That would be hard. It'd be hard to stand there and say, God, I, I'm thanking you for the cancer. No, he says you give thanks in all circumstances. You want to know what God's will is for you in your life? All the time we say, God, just tell me your will. You want to know what God's will is for you? Give thanks. You want to know what God's will is for you today? You give thanks in all circumstances. You give thanks in all circumstances. You look back at God's faithfulness. You look beyond your current circumstances and you will find your faith. You begin to, to look at what you see and what you've heard. Last weekend, we had hundreds of people who came to be prayed for. At one of our services, we had people who were lined up all the way down the aisles into the tunnels, just waiting to be prayed for. And we pray for people every single week here in the commons. But we are a church that really believes in the value as come as you are. It's not just something that we say. It's something that we value. It's what we do. And we realize that many of you are still in process, that you have doubts and you have uncertainties. But you're not allowing those doubts and uncertainties to keep you from taking a step towards Jesus. Well, I want to share with you a story of a guy at our church by the name of Mike. And his story may be just like your story. I want you to watch this. My name is Mike Zam, and this is my story. About six months ago, I was in a really dark place. I'd been suffering with depression for several years and finally hit bottom and was ready to end my life. So some bad choices. I ended up confined in a mental hospital against my will. And I knew something had to change, so I decided 
I was going to start coming to church. So in July of 2016, my wife and I started coming to the crossing. And right away, Pastor Shane's messages were right to me. I felt like he was talking right directly to me. I felt empty. I felt lost. So for me, as a non-believer, the best way to get something out of experience was to obey. So that meant going to Discover. And at Discover, Pastor Lauren talked about Alpha and how Alpha was a place for people who are new to faith, who had questions about faith. So I knew I wanted to go, so I signed up that day. At Alpha, there were three things that I really enjoyed about it. There was a lot of lot to learn about Jesus, a lot of, I did not know about Christianity. Um, the talk of the, the camaraderie, the talk of the Holy Spirit touching us, being part, parts of our lives, and the group discussion being a place, a safe place to ask, ask my hard questions and to get some of my answers and some of the things I needed just to vent out. I really got a lot out of Alpha. I think I was in a much better place when it was over than I was when it started. And so now I'm just continuing with my next steps. I have a couples group. I have a men's group. I enjoy both of those quite a bit. I talk to God every day. I read my Bible every day. I'm still not a believer, but I'm on the journey and I'm excited to see where I'll be when the next session's over.